We've been engaging in a study of the New Testament book of James. In today's message, we'll be looking at an important topic, focusing on our value system. This message is the ninth in the series, Real Deal Faith. The message is entitled, Valuing What's Valuable. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Now this weekend we're wrapping up our message series over the summer entitled Real Deal Faith. And so as we're getting started, why don't we welcome all the different campuses. Give a good round of applause for those uh, with us from the different campuses. Gaithersburg, Frederick, Universities at Shady Grove, as well as Clarksburg, all of our campuses. Would you welcome one another, one church in multiple locations. So we're glad to be together this weekend. Real Deal Faith. I want to talk to you out of the book of James chapters 1 and 2. I want to talk this weekend about valuing what God values. This book of James is a wonderful, wonderful book of the New Testament. 27 books in the New Testament. James actually is the first book written that is included in the canon of the Scripture of the New Testament. It was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, and James experienced a revelation of who Jesus really was after Jesus' resurrection from the grave. Jesus appeared to him, and James had this moment encounter with Christ that changed him forever. He becomes one of the most important leaders of the early church in Jerusalem, and he writes this letter that is very, very practical. It goes right to the core of how we are to live our lives as Christians. That's why we've titled this series, Real Deal Faith. And this weekend, we're going to conclude our series by looking at a theme that James presents to us in this book. He talks to us about valuing what is valuable. So would you listen as I read James chapter 1, beginning in verse number 9, down through verse 11. Then we'll also go to chapter 2 for some verses as well. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They, that's the rich, will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. Chapter 2, verse 1. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you've still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. 
Now, these passages I've just read to you really address a number of different topics that we could talk about, very specific things about the way we live our life. But overall, the general theme of what we've just looked at, what we've read together, is all about our value system. And I want to talk about three things relative to the value system that we need as Christian believers that James points out to us, three very important principles, application points for our lives. The first thing I believe he's teaching us is that we need to learn to value what's really valuable. In fact, that's the title of our message this weekend, Valuing What's Valuable. We need to know what's really valuable and value that. Now, values in your life are there. Everybody has a set of values. And your values are very simply what you think or represent those things that are valuable. Your values are those things that you really invest your life in. You say, I think this is worth something, and so I'm willing to put my time into this, or I'm willing to put my money into this, or I'm willing to put my my energy into this because I believe it has value for my life. And so your value system will determine your investments. And James very clearly here says, I want to bring you back around to understand the difference between the world's value system and God's value system so that you can actually value what God says is valuable. Let's go back to verses 9 through 11 in in, in chapter 1 and let's, let's see this value shift that needs to occur. Believers who are poor have something to boast about for God has honored them. Notice that's a values shift, a change in the way we think about values. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. That's a shift in values. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises, the grass withers, and the little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. Here, James, interestingly enough, makes, a, makes a, 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 some reflection upon or gives us some distinctions between those who are poor and those who are wealthy. He's not condemning either of those two. He's not say, saying that one is necessarily better than the other. But he's talking about economic conditions because it points to value system. See, the world value system generally has to do with wealth and money. The tendency of human beings is to measure the true worth and the true value of a person on the basis of their material wealth or their status in society. We will often say it this way, that people tend to think of their self-worth in relationship to their net worth. And so James says you have to change this way of thinking that your net worth is not uh, what determines your self-worth or, more importantly, your God-worth because the kingdom of God uses an entirely different system or set of values to evaluate the worth and impact of a person's life. God's kingdom is all about not what you have but what you are. It's about your faith, your character, your obedience. It's not about how much money or things you possess. It's about what, po- he, what possesses you, what's controlling your life. Is God in control of your life? It's very important that we do not lose sight of the true values of the kingdom of God. Because if we lose sight of the true values of the kingdom of God, we'll make some major mistakes in our lives. We'll start valuing things that are not really valuable at all. And there are a lot of people that spend their whole life valuing things that are really not even valuable, that will not even last. It's been said that we buy things that we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. And how true that is, that we value things that really do not matter at all. We buy things that we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. And that whole circle of things is all about trying to impress someone. It's placing a value on something that really is not valuable at all. 
Sometimes we'll assign value to things that God has never valued in the first place. And so we start investing our time and our energy and our money in things that are really a waste of time and waste of energy and waste of our resources. And we can overvalue things that are really secondary. Maybe they're important, but they're not that important. And then we end up undervaluing things that really are primary of significant importance in life. And so the first step in this journey is to stop and ask ourselves the question, do we really value what is valuable? Have we placed a value on what God says is valuable? Are we valuing those things that are eternal, not the things that are temporal? Are we looking beyond this life and saying, I'm going to put my investments in things that make a difference? It's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you as well. Jesus said, put your efforts into the kingdom. Put your efforts into seeking God first and foremost. Let him be number one and everything else that you need will be added. It's a priority process based upon a value system in life. So what do you really value? Are you valuing things that are, that are truly valuable? Or are you wasting time, energy, and resources on things that really do not matter at all? The second thing that James helps us to remember here regarding our value system is to make sure that in our value system that we value people. See, the, the number one value that God has is he values people above anything else. God values people. That's why James, uh, John chapter 3, verse 16 is so important, where, where Jesus said, God so loved the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Listen to that. God so loved the world. What is he talking about there, the world? Is he talking about a thing called the world? No. He's not talking about the physical universe called the world. No, it's talking about people. God so loved the people that are in the world, the people who have, who have populated the world. He's talking about you and me. In fact, oftentimes I will encourage people to put their name there, God so loved, and just insert your name very appropriately there. God so loved you individually, us as a group. So much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a great statement of the love of God for people. See, God is all about people. God is not about things. God is about people. Now, this is a very different value system than the world. I want you to note the philosophy of the world. This is the primary philosophy of the world when it comes to this whole idea of people and things. The world doesn't say it this way, uh, but the world lives this way, generally. In the world, the philosophy is love things and use people. In other words, I want things, and so people are my way to get to the things I want in life. So if I can get the right people and make the connection with the right people, and I can, if you will, in some cases, manipulate even and control the right people or have access to the right people, then I can get what I really want, those things, those things that will make me feel valuable and make me feel important, that will make me feel like I'm worth something. And so the world says, people are, are, are fine, but you, you use them to really get what you want in life. Now, God reverses that, and God says, no, I want you to love people and use things. In other words, use all your things for the end result of demonstrating love to people. Very different, isn't it? And so James reminds us of the importance of learning to love people, to value people the way God wants us to value them. 
Go back with me, if you will, to chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and let's listen uh, to the theme here of people, God's love for people, God's concern for people, uh, the, the value that God places on people. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some, what's the word there, people? This is all about people. If you favor some people over others, For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. He's talking about different kinds of people coming from different economic backgrounds and and, and situations. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, that's a people, rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination among people show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? And aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Now, James is not trying to condemn uh, wealth. But you have to understand that he's not condemning people that have things. But he's just helping us to flip our value system around and realize that all people are valuable. It's not about your things. Your things do not make you valuable. You're inherently valuable just by being a person, no matter what your economic status, your social status in life might be. And James talks to us about how we are to treat people. And these believers that he's writing to, they had a faulty foundation. Their, their favoritism, their underlying favoritism was, was really the manifestation of a deeper issue. And the deeper issue was this wrong, distorted value system they held on to. And you and I have the same problem as well. We all have the same tendency. And the tendency is to be like the world. And the world says, you know what? Find the people who will best benefit you. And you favor people that benefit you. And if people can't benefit you, then you have no need of them. And the opposite of that is exactly true. And we are called to this, this spiritual adjustment in our lives. James 2, verses 5 through 7. Listen to me, he says. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? He's reminding us of this very important spiritual truth. Don't love things and use people. No, love people and use things. Flip your value system around. Adjust them in your life. The third lesson that we learn from the book of James here regarding this whole issue of our value system is to learn to value love. When it comes to people, valuing them, then one of the ways we demonstrate that we actually value people is by actually learning how to love them. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing, more powerful than love. The Bible says that love never fails. Think with me for a moment about your own life and the times that you have either felt or extended real love to someone. And what happens when you... When you feel love coming your way from someone demonstrated to you or you have the privilege of being able to show love to someone, there's nothing, there's nothing higher in life than that moment. 
There's no high, if you will, uh, to put that in quotes that you will ever have in life that goes beyond just that feeling of the exchange of genuine, real love. Now, let's take that to another level. The higher level of that of love is not even the human love we experience as as imperfect as, as it is, as good as it might be at times. But there's a love that goes beyond that. That's the love of God. And the love of God for us is a love that, that goes beyond. We can't even measure. It's the unfathomable love of God. It's an incredible, oh, the love of God. How deep, how wide, how rich, how wonderful it is. And we can't fathom or understand the love of God. But God's love is extended toward people. Why? Because God values people. God demonstrates his value to people by the value of love that he places upon people and gives to people. And James draws our attention to this very same thing. He calls us to value people and value loving people. Notice chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Listen closely to this whole idea. Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law found in the Scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, he's about to tell us how we're to express this love. He's going to talk about one aspect, one major aspect of love. But if you favor some people over, over others, you're committing a sin. So this idea of favoring goes against love. You're guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all the laws except one is, is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you've still broken the law. So whatever you say, whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. What's that law? It's the law of love, okay? law of love set you free. Now he describes love in these terms in verse 13. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy, but if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. In the context of explaining loving our neighbors ourselves, James draws our attention to a word. And the key word there is it's a part of a whole dimension of love is the word mercy. See, love is a multifaceted thing. It's a lot of different elements to love, as, James, as, as, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. And one of the dimensions of love is is kind of a subset of love is mercy that if you're loving you're also merciful let me explain the word mercy and how it connects to love just for a moment mercy is all about not getting the punishment that you deserve that's really what it is very simple definition of mercy you don't you don't receive the punishment that you rightly deserve and instead you actually grace goes beyond that and your extended blessing when you actually deserve punishment so that's grace getting something good that you don't deserve mercy is withholding a punishment that you do deserve and God shows his love to us by being merciful to us. We sing songs about the mercy of God. We thank God for his mercy. But we're also called to express that same kind of mercy to the people around us. It's a part of love. And when Jesus comes into our lives, part of the royal law that sets us free is the law of love. And part of that law is mercy. Did you not feel great when you realized that God was merciful to you and forgave you of your sins and withheld hell from you and gave you heaven instead so we all deserve to go to hell because of our sinfulness there's no question about that we're all sinful the bible says that we're all created in iniquity and we are all are sinners that fall short of the glory of god and so because of our rebellion toward god we deserved hell but god has been merciful to us and in his mercy he has given us the beautiful gift of heaven when, he, when you and i put our faith in jesus christ so when you accept jesus in a personal way into your life you receive the gift of mercy that's heaven instead of hell what a great blessing he withholds punishment from you 
And so that is a law that sets you free. What does it set you free from? From the eternal punishment of separation from God. And so we celebrate that. But then he says to us, now that you have received mercy from God, you need to value that in your life. Not just value it with God. Certainly do that and thank him for it. But to value it in such a way that now you show, I value people because I'm now going to show them how much I value them through being merciful and loving to them. I'm going to show them that love by being merciful. I value love. Can I ask you, do you value love? Are you valuing the things that God values? Do you value people above things? And when it comes to people, do you value, really value loving people? See, real love is not about what you're getting from someone. It's about what you're giving to someone. God so loved the world that he gave. It wasn't what God received it was what he gave that showed how much he loved and valuing love says that i'm in a now i'm moving to a position in my life to say you know what i want to be a person who gives to others not that lives my life only in the perception or the orientation of receiving from them so a part of love is mercy i want to talk to you just for a few moments as we wrap up about this whole dimension of loving people by being merciful to them as god has been merciful to you is let me share with you four things that mercy involves. How do you become a merciful, loving, merciful person? How do you show that value in your life? Number one, by being kind to people. Kindness is a wonderful thing. A lot of times just kindness alone can pave the pathway to the heart of someone because we live in an unkind world, uh, unkind words spoken all the time around us. And so just by making the decision to say, I'm going to show acts of kindness and speak words of kindness and demonstrate an attitude of kindness and a tone of kindness in my interactions with the people around me. I'm going to tone myself down to where I'm going to live with a mindset of kindness and an attitude and actions of kindness. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, here is Paul's definition of love, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this is what God's love is like. Love is patient. Love is kind. Would you circle that phrase? Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. So the first checkpoint in your life, if you want to make sure that you're living in the love of God and you're being merciful, then you need to check that point off. Am I being kind? It's a good, good question to ask yourself every day throughout your day. Second of all, to help people that you can't help. That's what mercy is all about, to help the people that you can't help. Now, you can't help everybody in the world. God does not expect you to help everybody in the world. But I promise you this, that God will bring people along in your life that will test your willingness to help them. God will set up circumstances in your life from time to time to see if you're willing to be merciful, to see if you're willing to actually move beyond you and invest in the need of somebody else. If you've gotten to that place in your spiritual journey of saying it's no longer just about me, but now I want to be a servant of God to those around me. I want to help people that I can't help. Here's the story that you know well. Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. In reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So Jesus starts telling a story about how we are to love our neighbors ourselves. So he says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away leaving him half dead so let's get a picture of this guy he's going down from jerusalem to jericho and on the way he's he's attacked by robbers he's beaten up everything's ripped from him he's stripped of his clothes all of his valuables and he's beaten to a pulp i mean he's left by the roadside bloody and the bible says half dead now here's the story picking up verse 31 
A priest, by the way, that's one who would have been ministering in the temple, a person that should know God and have a relationship with God and not just love God but love their neighbor as themselves. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, what did he do? He passed by on the other side of the test. You may want to write in your notes there, failed the test. Failed the test. He was tested and he failed. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. So a Levite was one of those that helped in the practical aspects of worship. So he should have been a worshiper of God in the temple. And he too, he sees this guy by the roadside and the priest sees him and walks to the other. The idea is not just he just takes the other side of the road, but he actually avoids as much as possible an encounter with the person. As though he's looking away, not even acknowledging the need that exists because he doesn't want to get involved. Same is true for the Levite. Notice the next statement. But a Samaritan, and that's a very important word because a Samaritan was one that was of a different culture, different background than the Jews. And so by nature, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. And so here's a Jewish man laying by the roadside, bleeding, half dead. The Samaritan who normally would not have done anything for him, he's coming by. As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, please notice this. He took pity on him, or he had mercy on him. He loved him. He showed a dimension. He had felt a dimension of love for him, and so his love was expressed by this. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So he's taking on even the expense of nursing this man back to health. Then Jesus asked a very important penetrating question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Well, obviously, it's a very clear answer. The expert in the law replied, the man, read it with me, the one who had, what word? Mercy. The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus said, this is the way that you're to live your life. Value people. And the way you demonstrate that you value people is by showing love to people. And one of the ways that you show love to people is by learning to be merciful to people, helping people that you can help. You cannot help everybody. Listen closely. You cannot help everybody, but you can help somebody. And God will bring tests along the way to see if you're willing to help the somebodies that he will want you to help. Thirdly, forgive people that you need to forgive. You will never experience the love that God has for you as fully as you need to until you learn how to take whatever love you've experienced from God and give it away to the people around you. So you forgive the people that need to be forgiven in your life, people that have hurt you, people that you have something against. Is it easy to do? No, it's not easy, but it's right. It'll set, set you free. It's the way that you show mercy. Ephesians four thirty one and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Think of it this way. Just round up all the bitterness in your life, the rage, the anger, the brawling, the slander, the malice, and just put it in a trash bag So I'm going to get rid of this. I don't want this to be in my life. And then notice verse 32. Be kind and compassionate. That is, develop this attitude, actions of kindness and compassion. That's mercy to one another. And then forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Mercy is all about 
forgiveness. And so when you value people, you will be willing to extend forgiveness to them. And then the fourth thing is to invest your resources in kingdom activities that bring God's mercy message to a lost world. There's a lot said right there. I'm going to give you a moment to write it down. Let me read it once again, then I'll talk to you about what it means. Invest your resources, whatever your resources are, your time, your treasure, your talents. So invest your time, your treasure, and your talents, your energies, your resources in kingdom activities. That's, that's capital K, kingdom. Not little K, but capital K, God's kingdom. And kingdom activities that bring, that will bring God's mercy message to a lost world. How do you live your life in a way that shows you value the love of people? You live it by realizing the greatest thing that a person will ever receive is the gospel. There's nothing that will, a person will ever receive in their life that is more valuable than the story that Jesus Christ went to the cross for them and for their sins and died to pay the price that they could be forgiven for every sin they've ever committed, could have the free gift of eternal life in Christ and could find abundant life in Him now. There's nothing that you could ever do for a person that is greater than giving them the gift of sal- helping them find the gift of salvation, leading them to the gift of salvation, providing resources where that message of salvation can come to them. Why? Because when they receive the message of salvation, they're receiving something that goes beyond this world into eternity. It's something that changes them forever. It's something that helps them find their way from hell to heaven forever and forever. No greater investment that you will ever make than that investment, helping people find Jesus. So my question for you is, are you showing that you value people and that you really love people by investing yourself in things that get to the people the greatest message of all? And what I would encourage you to do is invest everything you possibly can in God's work in and through His church. Because when you invest in God's work in and through His church, you're investing in getting the message of the gospel to people that need to hear that Jesus Christ loves them and died on the cross for them and brings to them, offers to them the gift of salvation if they will simply receive it. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man, talking about Himself, came to seek and to save the lost. He said, here's my mission. I've got one thing on my mind, Jesus said. That's to seek out and find and save those that are lost. So when you invest, listen closely, when you invest in reaching the lost, you are valuing what Jesus values. Every time you invest your time, your treasure, your talents, your energy, and the work of the kingdom of God, and the work of His church, and helping us to get that message of the gospel to the world around us, you are valuing what Jesus values. Matthew chapter 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is simply saying to us, your life should be a light that actually guides other people to Jesus. So live in such a way that so that when people see you, you can say, you know what? Look at me because in my life, I want to point you to the one that is greater, the one who saved me and redeemed me. I want my life to be a light that points you to Jesus. So in other words, to the highest way we love people, the greatest way you'll ever love people, is by pointing them beyond you to Jesus Christ, the one who loved them far more than you could ever love them, and for them to discover a relationship, not just a relationship with you, but a relationship that goes beyond you to a relationship with God. So invest your resources in kingdom activities that bring God's mercy message to a lost world. 
real deal faith, what is it? It's all about valuing the right things. Valuing what's really valuable. It's about realizing that the highest value of all God places is upon people. That we're to actually love people and use things, not love things and use people. That we value people above everything else. And that value is demonstrated through love and through an extension of our mercy to them. By learning how to be kind, by making a decision to help people that God wants us to help. Can't help everybody, but you can help somebody. And then making the decision to continue to live in forgiveness. I'm going to walk in forgiveness and I'm going to do everything I possibly can with the resources of my life to help us get the the message of God's mercy, the message of Jesus Christ to a lost world that needs to know that he died for them, rose again from the grave, and that he loves them. Would you join me together as we pray? Father, I thank you for this weekend, for the opportunity we've had to study your word together. Thank you for speaking to us through the word of God and thank you for the wonderful instructions of the book of James inspired by the Holy Spirit. I pray you'll help each one of us, Lord, to begin to think about our value system. Lord, I pray that we would not live as the world lives. I pray that we would value what you value. I pray, Lord, that we would understand the value that you place upon people and that people will become valuable to us as well. That we will value, Lord, those around us that you put us in relationship with and contact, contact with as well. Lord, that we will have deep care for them. And that our love for people will go beyond just the the natural help we can bring them. But, Lord, pointing them to the salvation that can only come through faith in Christ. I pray, Lord, that this this coming uh, year, this fall, for the rest of this year, that we will be sensitive to you about the people you will want us to reach out to. And those that you'll want us to extend our love and care to. Those that you'll want us to invite to church or share the gospel message with. I pray that you will help us, Lord, to be ambassadors of Christ and extenders of your mercy to the world around us. Do this in us by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God. And we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. 
If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.